Welcome to my podcast, Why Didn't Anyone Tell Me This? With my guests, we are discussing health issues, questions you may have, and debunking some of the myths around our health. And it's a great pleasure today to speak to Claire Dale about physical intelligence, which is probably something you don't know much about, but hopefully by the end of today's podcast, you'll know lots about it. Now, Claire is a renowned leadership development professional, performance coach, an author with over 21 years experience as a facilitator, thought leader, and global speaker, innovating in the field of physical intelligence. With a background in science, executive coaching, and contemporary dance, Claire created the physical intelligence methodology to bring together neuroscientific research on embodiment, practical knowledge of movement and physiology, and a lifetime of study researching how human beings behave. Her book, Physical Intelligence, won Business Book of the Year Award in 2020. So, Claire, let's start. I always love starting with people's careers. And you've had an amazing journey. And you're, I do have a total jealousy going on. I always wanted to be a professional dancer. I used to go to Sadler's Wells when I was very young. I think I first went when I was about 13, 14. I'm still a regular now. I would love to have danced on that stage. So please tell us about your career. Well, first of all, it's lovely to be here. Thanks, Joyce, for this, this, you know, great, what I'm sure is going to be a great conversation. Um, According to my mum, I came out of the womb dancing. Um, I guess maybe she felt uh, also that I was dancing in the womb. I remember she she talks about me being very active. And it was one of my languages, dance. It was like learning to speak English. I was always moving and then I was always at every single dance class I could get to and going to every performance. And I also watched movement. I watched people in movement um, all the time. I think maybe I've got lots of mirror neurons in my my brain that, that pick up movement. And I'm just fascinated by it. And then during my 20s and 30s, I had my own contemporary dance company. And there started, you know, real sort of exploration of what uh, my voice as an artist would be and as a woman. And I really, you know, made some quite strong political and social statements through my dance work then, um, particularly about women and about roles, about sexuality. And, uh, you know, you could you, I, you can probably imagine there's a very traditional way of men and women dancing together in a sort of pas de deux with the, the, the men doing all the lifting of the women and the women tending to look um, a little bit more graceful. Um, but actually on stage in one of my dance pieces, you would see very strong women with very grounded movement, um, lifting, lifting uh, the, the male dancers um, just as much as they were being lifted and, and some quite sort of um, highly athletic movement. Um, so that, that was my, my dance history. I did start with ballet and I did start with tap and modern. And then uh, I think when I was about 13, into school came a contemporary dance company. And I remember my jaw dropping. I don't think my, I closed my mouth for days after that. It just seemed like that there was something there that had uh, kindled my uh, my imagination and my desire to have a career in dance. And so my degree, uh, my undergraduate degree is in uh, dance theatre. And there I studied a lot of physiology um, and science of movement as well. That's amazing. I, I did ballet and tap as well. And I, I, we were about the same age when we first saw contemporary dance. And it yeah, blew my mind. Um, so tell us a bit about physical intelligence and why you think that's important and how that came from your 
background in dance? Yes. Well, um, physical intelligence is a movement, really. I mean, it, it is the missing third intelligence. And what, you know, over a number of years, the last 21 years is I've done is I've built a curriculum um, that anyone can learn that enables men and women everywhere to live more embodied lives. That's basically what we're about. And we're in a world today where most people know about emotional intelligence, um, EQ or EI. And certainly we were all tested for IQ at an early age. Um, and I'm not sure that that was always good for us, but we, we certainly uh, knew from a very early age what IQ was. I don't know if you share that experience, but I remember those tests at school. Um, and it was as if, you know, you, you could be a dancer or you might be an artist in, in some way um, using your body as an expressive tool. But apart from that, we learned our biology outside of ourselves from textbooks. And it wasn't really integrated into who we thought we were. So the body sort of, I think, came off as rather a dumb animal, a rather secondary or third rate um, part of being human. We're actually, it's a highly intelligent technology. It, you know, seven systems of incredible interaction and hundreds and thousands of, of operations, trillions of operations every second that is that are going on, you know, um, connections and uh, things that are happening in the body all the time. But also um, the communication system through the body, the neurotransmitters and hormones are telling us what's going on in the body. Um, and I got really fascinated in that. And I, I guess really, the, the 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 in parallel to that that strong sort of thrust of a, a world movement, you know. And my book's been published into lots of languages, and it's starting to be introduced into schools and and these kind of things. It's very it's a very important area, I think, um, that goes beyond health and well being. It goes it goes right into who we are as human beings. But alongside that, personally. I noticed that when I was dancing every day, moving my body every day, I had more confidence. I felt more, I had more agency. I was more able to speak about my work and so on. When I was in periods where I wasn't, re wasn't rehearsing and I wasn't performing, so I was doing more of the administrative tasks. I was, you know, having board meetings or working with the team on marketing or admin, and I wasn't moving every day, I noticed a distinct dip in my performance. And I started to track that and realized that, you know, I did, uh, I did 15 years as a choreographer in the very competitive world of dance. But I always knew that I wanted to take this to a wider, you know, really worldwide audience. And, um, and I did that in finally in, in 2002, I, I moved into the business world. But really, it was this very felt sense in, my, in, in myself that, it, that there was something going on physiologically. And I had an inkling to what, but I hadn't done all the research um, that, that my system was, was downgrading when I wasn't moving. And I figured that must be the case for other people, too, and really started to empathize with people who were, you know, in the office all day, every day. And, uh, you know, it's something we can talk about is movement and what, what's happening in our technological age. So I don't know if some of that resonates with you, but that, that's the story, really. It's about, it's about getting in the driving seat of our performance, you know, and who we are as human beings and having a natural upgrade <laughs> in our lives. 
I um, I totally agree. And I think now more than ever, because we've got the problem of people working at home. And uh, for me, I'm spending a lot more time working at home. And that movement just doesn't happen. That movement through the day of even, you know, how we get to work and then moving around work. And it's so important. And um, that's, I, that's why I think your book's so key at the moment. And I always talk about the four pillars of well-being, which are nutrition, exercise, sleep, and our mental health. And I'm going to your your uh, podcast is going to be the first in a series a mini series of podcasts about exercise and movement so i think i think it's it's really really important so that's that let's let's dig a bit deeper in, into that now but let's start with um you set up the physical intelligence institute let's just talk about that before we dig deeper into um physical intelligence Yes, right. So, you know, I think I think all movements need a home where the research is and, and that starts to build um, a, a sense of credibility around a, a whole area of of work, especially um, because we we need people's. Well, I think that embodiment as a topic tends to be seen as either something that women are very good at and men are not, or that it's slightly on the outsides of society. It's esoteric. Um, it's something that's a little bit woo-woo. And um, and it is so not that. The science, the neuroscience is absolutely compelling about um, why we need to pay more attention to our bodies, how we move, why we move. Um, and so what we've, we, we've been you know, over the last 21 years going into businesses, working with leaders, working with teams to take take this message about physical intelligence into the workplace and into leadership. And then when COVID hit, um, all of like many people, we just had to, I think the word was pivot that were pivot that we were all using. And and we had to think about what we were going to how we we're going to use our time for this um, you know, indefinite period that we might be um, might be locked down and so on. So in my organization, my team came together, got a new director, and we decided to um, work more closely with coaches and leaders who were coaches and entrepreneurs who wanted to build, you know, build up their, their portfolio of well-being um, and, you know, um, uh, well-being and and health and, you know, the bigger picture of being a human being with all the science that we know today. Um, so working with those those types of people and we decided that we would create an online co course. It's called Coaching, Coach with Physical Intelligence or Coach with PI. And that's the website address as well, in case you're interested. Um, and that's a 10 week course. And then if, if someone's going to come and study, you need an institute. So we built this online community where people come and learn and share we post re the latest research and it's just it's, it's a community of people that really care about this and are learning to coach with the body because we we think about coaching don't we I suppose as mostly talking and feeling um and the question about you know how what what your if I'm a co in coaching mode i might might ask something like so you're we're talking about this it's clearly troubling you where do you feel that in your body what's the what part is your body playing in this and what solutions is your body offering because emotions and thoughts are all neuropeptides they are all chemical reactions on one level 
and uh, they are existing in the body. So that's why it's so important to understand the neurophysiology, start to work with it as coaches, because if we don't work with the body, um, then we are change, we change more slowly because that chemistry can get really stuck in the body, especially if we're not moving. Um, and it's also less profound, again, for the same reason that we might have our stories, our narratives locked in the body as chemical imprints of moments in time, our memories um, are really essentially felt in the body. So whenever we remember something, we get the same cascade of chemistry, hormones, neurotransmitters that are repeated uh, when we remember something. So that's why it's all so connected and, and linked up. And that's why we created the Institute for people to come and practice and, and get a professional qualification as well. It's, uh, it's, um, it's accredited by the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, our course. So there you go. That's, that's where to come. Um, and we're growing that in institute rapidly. And also shortly for people who are not coaches, but, but we're going to be launching a mass market um, course for everyone that wants to learn the physical intelligence curriculum. That's very exciting. So um, before we go into the four elements of physical intelligence, when you were talking about lockdown, I just want to share my story because for me to, to not be going out and staying in so much during lockdown was um, the way I got over it was to go cold water swimming. So lots of people have heard me talk about this before. But movement through water is something – oh, is that your phone? <laughs> movement through water is something that's so amazing and makes you feel um, – I, I can't even describe it, but also with a lot of endorphins released. And I don't think you talked about – moving through different um, environments in, in the book. Um, what do you think about moving through water? No, that, yeah, no, I think, t I think there's two very important things that immediately jump to mind. I mean, there's loads happening. One is I think that, um, well, I know that uh, the endorphin release and the uh, production of mitochondria, these um, energy cells that are like little batteries in, in every single cell of our body, and we need them to, to give us, to release energy. And those are, you know, that the production is absolutely undeniably enhanced of our energy producing system when we cold water swim. and. I've experienced that. I'm sure you've experienced that multiple times of having low energy and going from that swim and actually finding an access to energy you didn't think you had and you don't know really know where it, you didn't know perhaps where it came from. But now you do. It's, an, it's a really amazing thing. And the other thing, I think when we go into water and I think for me, this includes showers and baths and I'm a great hot bath person as well as a, as a cold shower person. Um, but when we go into water, when we're in water, I think our senses uh, from what we're experiencing on the outside through the touch sensation of the water on our skin, it, it helps to uh, get things flowing on the inside. You know, our senses are very powerful. And when we feel as though there's something flowing on the outside, we, we are going to be able to sort of detox, apart from all the, the chemical detox that is happening as we literally clean our skin. I think it gives us the information that there is flow in life. And that may sound rather esoteric, but uh, we're always looking at things and embodying the 
uh, elemental aspects of them. You know, if we live in a, a very cold, steel, white um, house or our offices are very inhuman, there's no greenery, we know that we, we suffer and our stress levels start to rise. The telomere lengths at the end of our genes start to, to, to diminish and, and actually stress starts to take years off our life. So I think it's that, that, that same theme of the environment matters, what's going on on our bodies and around our bodies really matters. And we embody some of that and it changes our chemistry. Yeah, that's great. Uh, right, let's let's do it now. Let's talk about the four elements of physical intelligence. Right, well, this is absolutely sort of crucial to how we can think about being better humans, essentially. And what I learned early on as a dancer, and I've come across it um, in the field of sports training as well, is that the four elements um, of being a better human, being a better athlete, being a better anything are strength, that's inner strength, flexibility, uh, our ability to adapt and respond, resilience, our ability to bounce back, uh, handle adversity, build a resilient system. And then uh, the e, our, our endurance, the fourth element is endurance, our ability to sustain um, our direction, our efforts over a long term, to build sort of human stamina, not just physic. don't mean really physically, I mean in terms of the, the, the motivated human who's purposeful. So endurance is that that's that's endurance and then going back to strength which I didn't really describe the inner strength is about inner confidence deep confidence emotional and mental stability and our risk tolerance you know our ability to put ourselves out there and say right okay what well, whatever happens you know I know where I am I'm here with my authority intact um and so those four elements, if you think about them from a physical, mental and emotional perspective and how those three elements of being human are all intrinsically connected, we can't dissociate physical from emotional from mental. They are all intrinsically connected. Um, and, and you think about strength, flexibility, resilience and endurance, then, it, then it's also clear that with regard to flexibility, for example, if we're sitting with tension in our bodies all day, only facing forward at these screens that we we need to spend time with because there are there are window to the world in many ways today. But if we're locked into that, tense in our in our musculature in different ways, then we lose creativity, we lose flexibility, we lose the ability to to have innovative ideas, we lose the ability to really truly collaborate well with people in space and shift our perspectives. So these are these are four very important elements, and I hope I've done the four justice in the time that we have. Um, well, there's a great example of of. The, I was just going to say there's a great example of how how connected up. Uh, Joyce, do you want me to, to give an example of how, how we are connected for people to try if they're listening? Yes, abs absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So one really good fun thing to do is to, to 
to give you an example of this emotional, mental and physical intrinsic link that that we have as humans is if you if you um, slightly collapse your core and then put your head just on one side, look down a little bit and um, start and try to have the thought and say it out loud. I feel confident and optimistic. I feel confident and optimistic with your body in that position. It's actually quite hard, isn't it, to even to, to conjure up that kind of thought from this body position. It's it's a really stark kind of realization that actually then then after a while here, the mood starts, the emotions start to collect around that body posture. Whereas if you expand and open your posture, and I think we're going to come back to this, but the principle is expansive and open posture. You can even stick your arms in the air and what what we call a winner pose or a power pose. And you try to say, I feel downbeat and demotivated. I feel depressed. It's very hard when your body is open and expansive and you're taking up space. So thought, emotion, physicality, there's a stark example for everybody that you can, you can, you know, play with, give, give, give people that to do at a dinner party, you know, and it'll, it'll create laughter because uh, we forget how connected we are. That, that was so powerful. And that really brought it home to us. You know, just those two simple moves. You know, we, we, how different we feel, just how our body is placed. Um, so let's dig deeper into all of those. So let's start with the winning cocktail. What's the winning cocktail that you describe? All right. So this is, as you say, going going down a level from the four elements. Each of those four elements has their own cocktail of chemicals that will be the primary lead uh, for achieving more of that particular element. And we've chosen overall eight chemicals to focus on. Um, and they are for men and women, testosterone is a very important chemical for risk tolerance and confidence. And we'll come back to um, the comparison between men, uh, male and female or men and women in terms of their chemical profile in a moment and why I've made certain decisions about it. But testosterone, risk tolerance and confidence. Uh, cortisol, the, the, the stress and threat chemical, it's actually the waking up chemical. It's actually an, an incredible performance raiser, but over, a, over a, uh, an optimal level, it becomes the, the chemical that's about anxiety and threat and burnout. Um, then you've got uh, adrenaline and acetylcholine. And these are flip sides of the same coin. I'm guessing most people will have heard of adrenaline because we know that's the accelerator. The heart rate goes up when we pump adrenaline's pumping around our body. And that's designed for us to speed up, make fast decisions um, and, uh, you know, accelerate um, whatever's happening around us. Um, and acetylcholine is the break, the recovery and renewal chemical. And not many people I meet have actually heard of that one. And yet they're both equally important. Um, then we've got four other chemicals that will recognize the sort of how they feel. The, the first three especially. So we've got dopamine, which is our motivation, reward, 
It's also responsible for our creativity and our focus. It's absolutely core system, the dopaminergic system. And if that system's not working well, we won't feel that we can motivate ourselves to, um, to get into action. We won't feel that we're able to appreciate when we've done something well and reward ourselves. Um, we won't be enjoying life very much and we won't have uh, much ambition or drive either. So dopamine's so fundamental. And then there's serotonin, which is uh, now a lot of people are now understanding that much of our serotonin is made in our gut. We have a gut brain and serotonin is the chemist chemical that we associate most with um, well-being, feeling happy, feeling enough, having our self-esteem in place, um, being able to be creative and curious because we can handle the uncertainty if we're to reach out, try something and it may or may not work. So serotonin really bolsters our experience of the world. Um, and then oxytocin, which is the chemical for trust and social bonding. And it really literally enables us to make uh, and create good relationships because we can understand others and we can feel and empathize and feel compassion too. And then finally, in the eight chemical uh, cocktail is a chemical called DHEA. And this is a fundamental performance enhancing steroid. And from that, we make testosterone, we make estrogen, we make progesterone, uh, we make um, all, all of the very important sex hormones. Uh, but it's also for our, the underlying DHEA is, is all about our vitality and our ability to um, sustain effort over the long term. So it's about feeling feeling good now, feeling stable, but also about having energy for, for the long term. And uh, interestingly enough, you know, you, th there is on the, the American market, I think, you know, DHEA in drug form, we would never recommend that you take it. It messes with the hormones, but it is actually the synthetic version of DHEA is a, a band. Uh, it's on the list of banned substances for Olympic athletes, for example. So, it is a performance-enhancing steroid, and we can make more of it naturally in our bodies, um, especially with breath technique, for example. And then everything that we're going to talk about that we do towards our resilience, towards our strength, our flexibility, our resilience, and our endurance plays into that uh, the production of the DHEA. And it's really the fundamental chemical that we want to be driving our, our transformation once we start to, to be, you know, understand what it is to become more physically intelligent. Long answer. Hope that makes sense. No, no that's great. Um, DHEA has come up in the fertility field as well, um, and you know we don't advise anybody to take it. But yeah, you know it's, it's yeah it's, it's um, you've got to be very very careful. So in your book, you um, you don't differentiate between these chemicals and male and female, and obviously testosterone levels are very different in male and female, but also the very strong hormones, estrogen and progesterone, are oscillating through a woman's menstrual cycle. And we know a lot now about having to work with being at certain points in your cycle and when you are feeling stronger, both physically and, and mentally, um, when you're feeling more fragile, and, you know, for example, near the time of your period or when you've got your period and being very strong in the middle of your cycle. 
but you didn't really go into that. And I, I, when I was reading the book, I thought, well, that's, you know, something we talk about a lot of working with your menstrual cycle. So how do you feel about that for women? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's absolutely vital and I love talking about it and I've talked about it um, in, in a variety of, of, you know, at a variety of events over the years because it's absolutely vital, as you say. But what I think, you know, the decision not to include that here was about wanting to um, wanting to, to look at really the underlying chemistry that we all share as humans. I wanted to frame embodiment for everyone, not not only, you know, for the initiated few or for women to have it particularly sort of a, only associated with women. Now, that that may seem seem a little bit brutal, but um, in my in my experience, and also reading on about each phase of a woman's life, and this is certainly my experience. Focusing for a woman to focus on her underlying adrenal chemical chemistry, the DHEA, the the, the, the how she's using her testosterone, um, because although women have a tiny percentage of testosterone compared to men, we are very sensitive in exactly the same way in terms of our confidence and our risk tolerance uh, to the changes in levels of it, and. I wanted to create a sort of the, the, uh, this, this, this experience of the underlying adrenal chemistry. And, and as I've gone through each of the phases, I'm now postmenopausal. So I'm, I've been through all the phases and I'm in my uh, lovely balanced final phase. <laughs> I think it's the final phase. I think, I think, um, I don't know if, the, I don't know of any names of, of a sort of 80 plus um, that we go into hormonally. And I'd love to know, maybe it should be named. Anyway, I digress. But the the um, each phase of that, ha the same applied as to when I was moving or not. If I wasn't moving my body every day, I would have uh, I would be much more susceptible to the negative aspects of that tsunami of chemistry that happens to a woman every month during her menstrual years. Um, when I was moving and dancing. I would have a, a much more balance. I'd be able to read what was happening and use the positive aspects of it. You know, the the high estrogen um, production, do you know, makes women w walk further. On high estrogen days, women walk further. They just they just will naturally find more reasons to to roam. And I just find that absolutely wonderful. And then the buildup of progesterone, the the sort of nurturing, the coming closer, the coming near and and sitting with and not really wanting to stand up and do a presentation on those higher progesterone days. Um, it makes complete sense, but I just wanted to create a level playing field and look at the underlying chemistry that applies to us all. So that was that decision. And also there's, there's you know, you've written about this. There are amazing books, Maisie Hill, a book called Peri uh, Period Power, really brilliant books on the, you know, w women and their and their chemistry already. So I thought, these, these would be this would be a good partner book just to level it level it out as well yeah I, I think it's so key that we do educate women about their menstrual cycle and how that that differs and the type of exercise as you said about walking I've been told by the people that use um, 
but the companies that have apps that measure your walks, et cetera, that um, you, a woman knows, but well, could know when her period's coming because she does less steps. The day, apparently the day before you have your period is the day of the month you do the least walking. <laughs> so that's really interesting. And just working with that and doing different types of exercise. So more sort of yoga and karma exercises around the time of your period. But but let's move on to nutrition and fitness. And they come up in many chapters of your book, sort of threaded through. And I mean, we've talked about movement, but more about this, think a bit more about nutrition and fitness and why you think they're important because that you, you talk about them so much. And I, I think they're hugely important. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think it's all about um, the inner environment and the choices to have a toxic inner environment in every cell of our bodies or a non-toxic sort of, yeah, healthy environment because the overall system, the organism that is human, um, it's the physiology that produces a feeling, a sort of mood, am I feeling well? If I'm not feeling well and I've eaten a lot of processed foods and I don't know, I mean, when my son was, was young, I think once I had a McDonald's and I felt so ill afterwards because I hadn't had one, anything, any processed food for a while. And I, I suddenly realized what that, that highly processed food was, was doing. And it's creating, you know, an acidity in the body where it's actually the stomach should be the, the really the only acidic place in the body. The rest of the body should be very slightly alkali. And, um, and I realized that, that this was, you know, this was literally changing my chemistry on the spot. And then there were these, uh, these crazy people who did these experiments of only eating the processed food and really were very, very unwell. So we have to remember that our thoughts and emotions are partially created by the the environment our wellness the way we feel in our bodies and so if you start to you know take a couple of days of bad nutrition you can expect your quality of your thoughts and emotions to downgrade and then that can be a real spiral down particularly if you're someone you know who's who's had a lot to deal with in life and is working on reprogramming some of the thought processes or someone that um you know, has a higher drive motor. Perhaps that applies to you and I. We're both busy, quite ambitious. I remember we're, we're always when we, we talk with each other, we're busy, we're doing stuff. We've got a lot we want to do. So there's an inner driver and a motivator and that that can create a buildup of toxins as well. So I, as a, as a kind of, yeah, ambitious person, I need to especially make sure that my diet is going to create, going to help me detox. So, uh, so lots of antioxidants and so on important in my diet. Um, it's an environment. It's the inner environment. It affects every single cell in our body and the function of it. And, and therefore, um, therefore, we can't really be physically intelligent without taking care of, of what we eat. Within that, there are so many conflicting examples and, and protocols at the moment, you know, grains or no grains, protein heavy or not. Um, do we need fats or not? You know, this has changed about uh, many, many times in my lifetime. And, and I think we just have to tune into our bodies, take the good stuff, make it balanced, um, 
know know the range of things that we need we need greens we need i i do a green juice every day and it might be old-fashioned to juice things but i love it it's become my habit and i know that's my alkalizing greens the spinach and the the fruits and the and the cucumbers and all the mix of that that i have every day and then um the the colorful fruits you know the 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 polyphenols that really um help um oxidize toxins in the body um, and so on. I'm sure you have your list. I have, we have lists of things that we do and, and, and just keep the, the new protocols on the outside and try them out and gradually experiment. So that's why it's important to me. And, uh, and that's why I write about it in the book. And there are lots of different, um, lots of the, the, in our food, obviously, are the, the, the amino acids that we can't create inside the body. So we literally need our, our food to be able to create the the, the cells, the actual substance of the body. And it's an incredible thing that we do create tissues, tissues. We do create cells when there, when there aren't cells, we create new ones. Um, or if a cell dies, we create new ones. And it's absolutely incredible. And that comes from, from our, partially from our food. Um, so when you think about it, we are what we eat. And, uh, uh, and that's, a, that's a literal, a literal thing. I was about to say exactly that. You beat me to it. I was going to say that's old-fashioned saying, we are what we eat. It's, it's really true. And I get more and more angry that we've grown up in a culture where we think unhealthy is fun. You know, eating this processed food, all the cakes, you know, every time we celebrate everything, anything, we have cakes and chocolates and unhealthy things. And I'm someone who's got a total sugar addiction that made me very angry. And I worked very hard on my three kids but they didn't have it and they don't. <laughs> they don't eat cake. I don't know what's wrong. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's, it's so hard to be healthy in today's environment. You know, if I've just done a lot of driving, you know, you get hungry, you stop at a petrol station or a service station. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing healthy. I was in hospital just for a, a little a short appointment. There was nothing in the hospital to eat that was healthy. I mean it was I went to a little farm shop down the road. You know, it's it's a terrible toxic environment. But let's let's go into each of the um, elements and just sort of your key messages. So let's start with strength. And you've talked about the winner's pose. What's your key message for strength? And tell us about the winner's pose. So um, the key mes message with strength is is that it's not about creating a kind of armory of muscle tension. You might need that for particular sports, but our inner strength is our, our, our balanced view on life, our ability to ground ourselves um, and our ability to, you know, pr produce uh, a good balance of cortisol, testosterone, uh, dopamine and find the the acetylcholine coming in to recover us when we get over when we get you know get into to action we need the recovery um, and the DHEA underpinning that so strength really is starts with our inner environment I guess you could say we do need the protein to give us strength. If we're talking about nut nutrition, that is the proteins really build our, our cell structure. Um, but also 
how we build our posture, how we build our lives in a structured way is all about our strength. So one of the facts is that if we if we can always collapse our, our posture and the screens pull us forward, then we're likely to remember events negatively rather than positively. If we use open and expansive posture with an alert spine, we'll balance our cortisol, we'll boost um, our, all of the chemistry that, that builds our confidence. So that includes uh, testosterone, that includes DHEA, that includes dopamine, that, that chemical that gets us out there. And you can do some of that with posture. If you extend your body into what we call a winner's pose, and some listeners will, of course, have come across Amy Cuddy's work from 2012 on power posing, which overstated the, uh, the amount of chemical shift uh, between testosterone and cortisol and was unfortunately discredited. Some of her research was discredited. What absolutely remains because I don't think that that research was um, deserved to be completely discredited, all right? And we learned a lot about how we need to deal statistically with, with um, what's called the P, statistical P-curve in the research. So science has improved as a result, but um, I meet people all over the world who are still talking about using power posing. And what, it, what, it, what is undeniable in the research is that um, if you use open, expansive body posture, they said initially for a couple of minutes, but it's thought now that the, the change happens uh, more quickly than that. And it certainly does for me. It's almost momentary. If I take my arms out and I widen my base, I immediately feel like I have more, more agency in the world. I'm ready to move on out there. I'm ready to take on the risks. Um, and what the, the research that stands very strongly is that if you're going for uh, a pitch for investment, you're making a pitch for investment, or you're going for a job interview, you are more likely to walk into that room with a can-do, I can do this, uh, I'm up for this, I'm here, I'm present, I can state my case confidently rather than perhaps uh, justify or, um, yeah, or, or, or qualify, you know, or apologize for something. Um, and so two minutes uh, at most, I would say, um, prior to some of the more challenging things that you might move into, where you want ownership, authority, you want to stand ground, you want to own your status and be, you know, be able to be compellingly humble if you want, but own your ground while you're doing it. It's not that you have to be the chest beating big I am. It's just about owning who you are and your authority. Um, those people that do that and use that are more likely to get the pitch for investment or to get the job. And that's uh, really compelling, isn't it? So I use that all the time. And it's also um, open, expansive body posture is also a really powerful celebratory um, technique that we use in our curriculum. Because Many, many people are achieving a lot. Many women I meet are achieving so much, but um, feel that they're boasting. If they even mention it, so they'll tend to downplay 
what they might have achieved. So in our curriculum, what we talk about in the strength section is that if you do whatever you achieve, you can you feel free if you wish to do a winner pose. And this imprints this boost of testosterone and dopamine as you celebrate that moment. There's a pleasure, there's a reward. And that gives you a flood of that chemistry and it makes you want to feel that again. So you're more likely then to put in the effort to repeat whatever behavior got you to that achievement. So it upholds achievements and creates a level at which you're, you're performing. Does that make sense? Yep, yep, totally. And you talk in your book about, you know, our mother's always saying, my mother did, you know, uh, shoulders back, chest out, my mother. And, but it's, it's a great posture. It's a great posture. Uh, let's move on to flexibility. And you talk here a lot about different personality types. And I've just this week been teaching my students, thinking about Myers-Briggs, thinking about different personality types and respecting those. So tell us about flexibility. What's the key message of flexibility? So the key message for flexibility is really that, you know, if, if you're, you're have, you have a rigid body, you're holding tension in your body, then you will be in some ways holding yourself back. So while sometimes we need to brace into life, exert effort, we also need to be able to uh, unlock ourselves from fixed positions. So those fixed positions might be a particular view on something, or they might be in a relationship or a creative um, environment where you hold on to your idea and you're not able to build on others' ideas or, or move on from yours uh, acknowledging that this is a you know a collaborative environment um, in terms of relationships this is absolutely vital because really any harmony that we reach as a community as a society um, as opposed to battling and warring any any harmony we reach is because we're able to view multiple perspectives because we're able to be compassionate and realize that some people have very different stances. And if we were genuinely able to shift um, and really embrace our flexibility as humans, we would be less warring and be able to work out and problem solve in societies where uh, in, 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 global, uh, in a global context much better. Um, we'd be able to see other people's perspectives, but actually we're really rather undeveloped in that sense and we're still um in a some people would say this is this is being human it will all uh, it will always be this way that that isn't my belief i think we're 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 just not very grown up yet so that's a very important part of flexibility holding on to resentment and holding ill will uh, my business partner does a lot of work with the forgiveness project um and this idea, you know, really extended version of the flexibility is can you forgive someone that's that's had a massive impact on, on your life? Um, and obviously, that's really hard. And I don't want to just pay lip service to it. But at the end of the day, resentment and holding uh, positions of, of ill will against other people is, is damaging the, you the most. And I think one of the greatest... Um, captions about this if I don't know if you've heard it but uh, holding resentment is like taking a poison pill and expecting the other person to die I just find that quite profound 
yeah, I hate holding resentment, but you know, some, sometimes other people are out of our control, and uh, I try, and then I, I fail. But yeah, it's, it's, we should we should do that. So the next one is resilience, and we talk a lot about burnout and about relaxation and downtime, and I'm doing more and more of this as I've got older, and I we should all have done it when we were younger. Yesterday, I went to a spa for three hours. Um, I had a very full brain, needed to just totally clear my head. And when I clear my head, um, and you talked about walking and getting great ideas when we're walking, but when I clear my head, I'm, I'm, I'm sure everyone has this, we have so many great ideas. We, we can't keep saturating our brain and then not, and our body and not um, having that downtime. So tell us more, what's the, what's the key message of resilience? Yeah, well, uh, this one, the, the thing about walking and creative ideas bridges flexibility as well. Um, and we, you know, when you, you mentioned about social styles or personality styles and everybody having a different kind of programming, and that applies to our physicality as well. So just answering the, that, that question about, about walking and, and innovative ideas first, and then come, we'll come on to really important topic of, of burnout and resilience. Um, if, say, someone is a very analytical profile, so they're very good at sort of judging about things, thinking about things, you know, making, making decisions based on the data um, uh, and being highly organized in their lives, liking repetition, then they may not be as good at, having, at taking that time and having that idea while walking just because that they're less likely, they're more likely to look in one direction when they're walking. They're more likely to be runners or cyclists rather than, um, you know, dancers or, or enjoying salsa movement or something. These are more flexible sort of uses of the body. Um, and the thing about being in the shower or being out for a walk or wherever you have an idea is that your, your brain is occupied with something that's practical and physical. And this frees other parts of your brain to come up with things that you weren't even thinking about. And so it's an amazing thing about, about the brain when we're doing something other than, than the things that we'd like to have ideas about. Our brain's going off and making these amazing connections. And that is just incredible. Um, and when we walk and when we look around and when we take space and we do things in a more flexible way, we're bringing in uh, higher levels. We're inviting in higher levels of serotonin, so creative looking out, uh, reaching out, you know, looking, looking at the world as a creative playground, really, um, and being able to enjoy that and moving flexibly. Serotonin plays a part in the way that the muscles fire, continuity and flow of movement, as I'm demonstrating now, because I love moving that way, is, um, is, is partly due to the way that serotonin is firing up our movement. And also, um, it also pays, plays a great, a big part in the suppleness of the connective tissue between the muscle and the bone. So serotonin is all about that, that flexibility and creativity. Um, and then the other chemical we get more of when we, when we change our activity, when we view different vistas, when we change what we, our, our view on life is dopamine. Um, so we're looking at different colors. I'm looking out at the trees. Suddenly I get a dopamine boost. And that is one of the major uh, chemicals that helps these brain connections, these creative brain connections. So we're doing, you know, when we when we do those things, we are chemically changing ourselves, um, changing our state. 
And there's some brilliant research about um, by my friend, Dr. Peter Lovett, um, who's also called Dr. Dance in, in his world. And he talks about how well, he's done amazing research on how if you do movement that's structured and organized like a, a, a hand jive, so it builds up and it repeats and you know what movements coming after the other. And, you know, you, you just carry on and you go back to the being and that's what you do. You get better at convergent thinking, making a, a one decision out of many options. And if you move spontaneously, and we have this as an exercise in our curriculum as well, one of the slightly uh, more, um, more interesting sort of extroverted ones is to see if you can sustain 30 seconds of moving where no two movements are the same. And this might be very outside of many people's comfort zones. They may not have ever improvised, but that's essentially what it is. And when you learn to improvise in whatever way, it could be also equivalent to playing, playing the piano, but improvising, playing jazz rather than classical music or scripted music, for example. Then you get better. When you improvise, you get better at divergent thinking, coming up with ideas, many ideas, many options. So there's a creativity theme, a flexibility theme there, but it also goes to resilience because... Uh, serotonin is one of our key resilience chemicals, um, partly because also it, 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 uh, it's a sister chemical to our sleep chemistry, um, melatonin. And um, it's also our well-being chemical makes us feel that we're OK in the world. And anyone that has been um, sort of approaching burnout, and I certainly have felt that sort of, I don't know if you have, but that sort of pull to, gosh, this is, I'm getting a bit out of control. I'm in overdrive. I'm not sure I can stop here. I'm getting exhausted and tired. Um, but when I do, I do try and recover, I'm not quite resting well enough. Um, and so I've certainly had to educate myself in what we call rest. So R-E-S-T, retreat, eat, sleep, and treat. Retreat eat, sleep and treat. So a retreat is where, where you go, your happy place, where you go to nourish yourself. And it might be your gardening or it might be walking. Um, it might be, you know, cooking in certain way. It might be, you know, reading, reading books that are, are off your, away from your profession or a different kind of book. Anything that really you feel nourishes you, that's a retreat. And learning to use that time and really earmark that time for you is important. Eating, we've talked about. Uh, sleeping is so important. It is the most important performance raiser of all. Um, and I'm sure we all know what it's like to be short on sleep and have that foggy brain. And actually, as a postmenopausal woman, and woman, I work hard for my sleep, right? It's uh, early waking is something that sometimes happens for me and I just need to really make sure that I get to bed at a good time and that I'm doing the things around um, around the sleep um, uh, good good protocols for getting sleep to to be able to do that sleep get to sleep well and get enough hours in before I might wake early um, resilient burnout the the final things I want to say about that are know your signs. So one of my signs is diary errors. I will, you know, if, I, if my resilience is dropping, actually I've got two. One, I'll start to bump into things. 
two, I'll start to have diary errors. So two things, two important things of just clashing and I've put them in or, or I've allowed them to be put in at the, at the same time. So um, those are my signifiers. So know, know what yours are and then uh, take that sign and start to know how to implement uh, your resilience reboot. And I think the final thing I want to say is, is who's on your backup team? Because part of being resilient is having people that support you. You will likely support them as well. But when the chips are down for you, you're able to say, this is happening. I Just let me, let me tell you about it. Um, expressing, vocalizing what's happening, expressing emotions, not storing them up in the body um, is really important. And then having people, you know, that will, you know, experienced people, a massage at least once a month if you can afford it and if you've got somebody on your team. But who is on your team that that keeps you, helps you keep, you know, keep you together and keeps you resilient? Those are, that is part of your resilience resources and having resources uh, makes you more resilient. I'm amazed by how many people I know who've never had a massage. <laughs> that's that's unacceptable, I think. I think visiting the spa and going for a massage, I try to do it once a month. Um, I've actually had two massages this month and two spa trips. But um, for me, my signals are, I, I just feel my brain, my brain sort of almost says, I'm, I can't go on, you've got to stop. Um, and then I'll just take um, sometimes just an hour out, might be a walk or whatever. But sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll go swimming in a in cold water swimming or the spa. And some Monday mornings, if I can, if I've got a busy to-do list, I just go kayaking first. <laughs> I'll go off Monday with a group that go Monday morning at 10 o'clock. I'll just go kayaking, clear my brain for the week, and it just helps me focus on where I've got to go. And you mentioned sleep. Now, that, that segues onto the last element, which is endurance. And for me, sleep is my superpower. I can power nap for five minutes and I feel feel great. So tell us the, and it really sleep is so important. And around the perimenopause, women are getting disrupted sleep and then they're getting all these other symptoms. And we, there's many of us that feel if they sort the sleep out, that would seriously reduce everything else because lack of sleep is torture. So tell us about endurance and sleep. Tell us about endurance and sleep. Yeah, so endurance first is is really the the sort of thrust of it is being able to draw on resources, being able to plan and adjust that plan, um, being able to persist with things that you want to, great habits that you you know are supporting you, and being able to to put those in place over the long term. Um, and being able to sort of maintain your motivation to go forward, to keep trying. And um, it's quite difficult, isn't it, when, when something that you're doing is not working, like you might, be, you might be putting into place a few sleep protocols, but still get that early waking or, or, or wake in a certain state or a certain mindset without feeling rested. And... Um, Certainly, you know, every, all of the things, the wisdom that we that we know, don't eat too late. Um, do do what you know, have a hot bath if that works for you. These these things that you'll know help your sleep. Don't don't skimp on those. Make sure that they're there for you. 
but also um, know that that when we're our hormones are changing. So speaking particularly to women that are listening, um, when but this does apply to men as well. You know, men have hormone hormonal changes as well. When things are changing in our bodies um, hormonally, then we can get these cortisol spikes because sudden changes in hormones for women will create this stress on the, the adrenals, the cortisol spikes, and th then we're into a waking cycle uh, or the quality of our sleep goes down because the, motor, the cortisol motor is still uh, moving in the background and we don't get restful recovered sleep. So I think that, that knowing what's happening helps me so I go, okay, so I've had a hormonal shift and my cortisol is spiking. And, um, and then being able to support your hormones through good breath work, good movement work. And also, um, I mean, I used soya lecithin. That took me through my uh, menopause be, um, as a, an estrogen kind of replacement. Um, and, you know, I managed to do it without any any HRT, but actually now really look back and kind of wish that I had because it's it's so special now what what can be done with uh, with our um, with HRT. So that's that's as best I can do on sleep, and I think we're all dealing with it. I do. I have been thinking lately, and I don't know what you think, but since I've written the book, I also think that there's um. There is a psychological element to sleep issues. And I know it feels like it's a chicken and egg. If I could just sort out the sleep, I'd be able to sort out, you know, how I'm feeling about this and that. But I also think that maybe there is a sort of psychological, what the worry about that uh, compounds us. So I think if we can take the heat out of it, get up, do something that we enjoy doing, even if it's the middle of the night, try and create our lives uh, well enough communicate about it so that we're able to um, people are able to sort of support us and and give us a bit of breathing space and, and let our needs be known there's nothing to be ashamed of uh, uh, you know being short on sleep it's not our fault it's it happens at times so um, I think the attitude to it is really important as well um, again movement if I'm not moving I know my sleep is worse uh, the chemicals of events and emotions stay in my body. Um, they're not flushing through. So both when it comes to resilience and endurance, it, it's just so important to know that, that, that our emotional makeup is chemistry and that in, a, in every cell of the body, there are these receptor sites. And when we get a, a flood of us, there's a chemical shift in the body, uh, an emotional change, and we feel that. So serotonin drops or dopamine rises or whatever, it, or dopamine drops if we're disappointed. We feel that change. And that is a cascade of neuropeptides in the body. And those neuropeptides are charged electrically and they can get lodged in these receptor sites in, our, in every cell in our body, um, like getting the wrong key in a lock. Right. They're they're essentially shouldn't really be there and hang around there after after the effect. But they do. That's why we get sort of residual feelings of things. And then over years and months, things that are unexpressed or replayed through our systems um, will create disease in our body. That's one of the main mechanisms for that happening. Um, 
And so it's, so that's why movement is so important because we're so full of fluid. We are mostly fluid. And uh, when we move, that fluid moves and it literally helps to flush those neuropeptides that essentially are, are hanging around in cells where they shouldn't be out into the lymph system, out draining out of the body um, so that we are you know, we're healthier and, and, and ready to move, move into sleep or move into the next day. So another reason why movement is so, so, so important. Uh, thank you so much. I'm going to pick up what you said about HRT. So um, I really don't think you've missed out on anything. <laughs> um, I've just interviewed three clinicians, <laughs> three world famous clinicians about um the preventative effects of HRT and they all agree that the data is really not there um so I I never took HRT and I have no fear of missing out at all I feel for me that was the right thing I know some women absolutely need it um I don't think everyone one everyone needs it forever but that just to confirm that there really isn't solid data that HRT prevents any long-term issues or or promotes good health in women so I'm really not of that camp that that feels that but anyway we'll we'll draw a line <laughs> I want to finish off now just asking you some well, well no, I mean I, I, some... oh, I, I just well I, I just want I just wanted to say to say on that I suppose you know I was just saying that really quite lightly because uh because of um you know the the sort of the stories of women and maybe it's some of it's placebo now as well sort of feeling they have their their bloom back and i think um i think that that it's great it's kind of kind of encouraging to hear about the the actual the, the actual data for it promoting health not being there um and i'm really curious about you know how this how this sort of plays out because um so many women are very committed to it but um i must say i'm i'm not hankering after it too greatly it was just sort of oh i wonder what it would have been, would have been like i'd like to have uh, from a sort of my body as a laboratory kind of perspective i would like to have uh, sort of experimented as well i know for me that uh once i became once my hormones stopped i really felt like a fog had lifted from my brain and i felt my mentally i was the clearest i'd ever been and i feel that the pill had really not been good for my body so that's why i didn't want to put that estrogen and progesterone back in my body and i do feel physically and mentally the best i've ever felt in my life since i've been over 50 so um yeah for, for me there i just did not want to put those hormones back in i just think they're very powerful and um for for me i just i just didn't want them there and i i couldn't feel more um energized than i do now so i can't see how and and it, there's no evidence that hrt energizes you or does any of the things but um anyway some of the things that women claim i just I think I'd explode if I had any more energy. So um, anyway, let's move on. The, I the agree last, with you. Yeah, I, I agree with last, you. The last few questions. Um, my podcast is called Why Didn't Anyone Tell Me This? Have you ever been asked that? What's the most common thing people have said? Why didn't anyone tell me this? Um, I think that uh, for me, 
why didn't why didn't anyone tell me that I had more agency over how I felt and lived every day uh, when I was younger? I really felt at the mercy of my emotions. You know, lack of confidence would would hit me, and I wouldn't know what was making the difference one day to another. So, really, why didn't anyone tell me? And this is why a lot of people say to me now. This, this should be taught in schools. Physical intelligence should be part of being at school. You know, our identification with our bodies and our ability to have agency where we can um, over this incredible technology. So that would be it for me. And what motivates you? I think really what motivates me is hearing people talking about how they're They've started to move. They've started to visualize. They've started to breathe differently. They've sent, learned to center themselves properly. They've, they've, they've kind of, yeah, they've, they've started really to take hold of their lives and they're transforming their lives naturally um, by connecting with their bodies in a, in a specific strategic way. And they're actively managing their bodies. So it's that transformation. I mean, that is the thing that gets me most excited when I hear people saying, I'm changing. I feel different. Um, this is amazing. I love it. Um, what makes you happy and where is your happy place? So my happy place really is probably... Is probably in bed, catching up on some sleep and feeling, feeling the serotonin levels sort of rising and, and feeling that I've taken myself to bed when I needed to. And I've had a snooze, a power nap or a longer sleep or a whole evening where I just say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm off to bed um, and I, I may be gone some time, you know. <laughs> And and then the feeling after I've done what's right for me and my body, and I feel this serotonin surge in so many ways, sense of I've taken care of my own well-being, my own chemistry, and then the the sense of um, creativity and flow coming back. So I really, um, when I'm in my serotonin zone, when I've really looked after myself. I'm the happiest. And then I'm so much happier with everyone else and so much nicer to be around. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what advice would you give your younger self? Now, you said a little bit about that when you talked about why didn't anyone tell me this. Anything you'd like to add? Uh, I think trust yourself. Uh, listen to yourself first. And then, of course, take many other views. I think for me, um, certainly as a, as a young performer, I learned early on to please others. And I've heard a lot of people talk about that in different ways, you know, performing for others, pleasing the parents, if you like, or pleasing uh, the people you are performing for. And I would go back and say, look, just let's break that down. Let's stop the performing for a bit and trust yourself. What do you believe is what you need now? What do you want to do next? How will that impact others? But what is it that your motivation and your drive and your confidence is moving you towards? So that would be it. 
Claire, they are very wise words indeed. Thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. It's been really wonderful to talk to you and I hope more people read your book and follow you on your physical intelligence. Thank you very much.